This is Unsighted with Lanisha David. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome back into the podcast where dreamers, just like you and I, bear their souls. So today's guest on the podcast is the beautiful Keyshawn Johnson. So I normally do a little intro for my guests, and I know you guys probably skip over it, like, if she does not shut up. So uh, this time, I decided to switch it up and let my guests introduce herself because uh, she knows who she is, she knows what she does, and she knows just how amazing she is. So yeah, sit back and relax, enjoy the show, but don't forget to leave a review, and be sure to like and subscribe to Unsighted with Lanisha David on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. So my main thing is trying to stop saying um so much. Um, I think I did a good job. See, I did it again. I think I did a good job <laughs> on my last podcast. I, I definitely minimized it. But my goal today is to not say it at all. Yeah, that's yeah. progress. That's progress. Yeah. All right. So thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yes, no problem. So usually I do the introductions myself, but today I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Sure. So um, as you mentioned earlier, my name is Keyshawn Johnson. I have the exact same name as a football player. So there goes my whole life summed up right there. <laughs> um, I'm, I previously graduated from Temple University um, in May. I earned a Bachelor of Business Administration in International Business, and I'll be working within the technology industry starting my career at LinkedIn in San Francisco, California. I'm also the founder of Boardroom Exclusive, which is an annual event that I host it's a boardroom event for non-business majors, um, and I'm also the founder of The Other Half, which is a platform that discusses the impact of a father's love or the lack thereof, and I'm a non-athletic sports fanatic. Okay, so I definitely want to touch on The Other Half before yes. you get out of here for sure. Like, I definitely mm-hmm. want to hear a lot about that, but talk to me a little bit about the sports industry. Like, where are you with that right now? Sure. So um, I started having an interest in working in sports around 13, 14 years old. Um, I watched sports all the time, particularly football. I was a huge, well, I am a huge Eagles fan. Um, But back then, I would just always watch the game, take notes. Some of my favorite players were Asante Samuels, Deshaun Jackson, Deshaun McCoy, you know, that 2010 Eagles Mm -hmm. squad. Um, And so... That was a really exciting time for me, and um, after watching the Super Bowl, I decided that I wanted to work within the sports industry. So I spent my whole high school career trying to figure out at what capacity. Um, And so I worked a little bit in reporting, but I realized I wasn't, I didn't have a strong passion for it. Um, And so I went on to want to do marketing. So my goal was to do international marketing for the NFL and for the NBA. Because you know, the NFL has NFL UK. And the NBA has their global games in Mexico and, I believe, um, Asia. So I thought that was a huge market for me with an interest in traveling and sports. Um, And I went on to work with a lot of top athletes at a lot of community events um, and doing NBA training camps. And then I went on to work at the Rio Olympics, which was, like, the highlight of my whole entire life. And I'm never going to be able to replace that experience. (laughs) Um, And, yeah, when I came back from Rio... Uh, cat took a knee and it just pretty much changed my whole life um for one 
prior to going to the Olympics, um, two African-American men were killed by police. And so that was really tough for me because when I went to the Olympics, I was the only black woman. Um, and we had to constantly stand up for the American flag because we would go to these Olympic events and the U.S. would win. And I remember um, at Michael Phelps' final swim, we had to stand up for the American flag. And I just was like, I can't do this. Like, I can't sing this song. I can't put my hand over my heart. I can't represent this country. And so when I came back and Kat felt the same way, it was a huge moment for me, but it was also very disappointing because I didn't like the way everyone, you know, support. I didn't feel like he was supportive as, um, as much as he should have. And so in that moment, I decided to work in another industry. And I'm like, what the heck am I going to do? I'm a junior in college. My whole resume is sports. Every mentor I had was within the sports industry. Um, at Temple, like, I worked for the football team. I worked for the basketball team. So it was just like, what am I supposed to do? And so I decided to work within the tech industry. So now, for the most part, I don't have any ties to sports. Um, I have boycotted the NFL for the last two seasons. Can't lie, flew home from Rome for the Super Bowl. Um, yeah, so I watched the the game against the Vikings and I booked the flight because I was studying abroad in Rome. I booked the flight straight to Philly and enjoyed the Super Bowl. So that's where I am now in sports. Um, I don't have much of a connection to it, um, but with my project The Other Half, a lot of athletes that I've worked with in the past have expressed interest in being a part of my project and kind of talking about how their relationship with their father impacted them and their role within the sports industry. So that's pretty cool. Okay. So have you faced any struggles in the sports industry being a woman? Yeah, so um, I think one of the greatest, um, now being a woman was a huge asset, but it was also a barrier. Mm -hmm. So I say that it was an asset because men were very open to helping me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like, how can I help you? Um, and it wasn't unconventional for me to meet people in these unconventional spaces. Mm -hmm. And so if I saw a trainer that was working with NBA players or NFL players, I would DM him and I would say, and it would be very professional. And so I would just say, hello, my name is Keyshawn Johnson. I'm an international business major at Temple University, da 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 I see that you work with athletes. I would love to learn more about the work that you're doing. And so they would just be like, cool. And I'm not sure if they would, you know, give the same energy to a male. But I know for sure they were always very reluctant to, like, help me and work with me, um, i.e. our mutual mentor, Cortland. Mm -hmm. um, just people just very help, happy to lift you up. However, with barriers, what I faced the most was um, people not taking me serious because I was a woman. Mm -hmm. um, so I never talk about this. This is actually my first time talking about this in an interview, but I worked for the football team at my university. Um, and one day, the, I used to work the football games, and this was a popping season. So this was a season when we were, we had played, we beat Penn State, we were playing Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. Like, it was a big time at my university, and I was working with the football team, so I was on the field and everything, um, and then I got, you know, my manager let me know not to come in for the next game. And I was super confused, like, you know, it was only my third game. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, what, I think I'm killing it, I'm doing a great job, because I was working with them recruitment. Um, and so she told me the next week to come into her office. Um, and I came into her office, and there was two other managers there, and they pretty much was like, we're gonna get straight to the chase. When you got here, you signed a waiver that said that you wouldn't date players. However, we've got word that you've been dating a player. Um, and so we want to know, you know, are you dating this particular player? And I'm like, huh? Like, what? Like, I was just completely thrown off. And apparently, 
some girls that worked for the football team had mm. I guess tried to sabotage me and they told some of the managers because they had worked on the football team for about for years like one of the girls helped me get the job on the football team and she was standing outside the door during our one-on-one meeting like listening with her friends and so it was just a huge confusing experience for me because I'm standing you know like I don't date athletes like you know that's one of my biggest you know, number one things that I don't do. Mm-hmm. Um, and they asked me, I said no. They asked him, he said no. And then they told me that I couldn't work on the football team anymore. Um, and mind you, they didn't ask us together. He contacted me and was like, whoa, 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 like what's going on? Why are they saying we're dating? I'm like, I don't know. Like I only have class with you. And they never called me back or contacted me again. And so that was one of the worst experiences I've ever had in sports because my character wasn't, you know, attacked. And I felt like if I was a male, I wouldn't have been treated that way. Um, And I felt like no one cared about my side of it or what the truth was. And so that was one of the toughest experiences that I had within the sports industry. And also add that um, the great thing about the sports industry is that you do need mentors within it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did have a few mentors who were uh, women mm-hmm. who worked within the sports industry very successful women within the industry I had mm-hmm. amazing mentors well they still are my mentors but I'm in a different industry but I went straight to them like almost in tears telling them what happened and they said oh girl that happened to me and you know and it was for them it was with greater players one of my mentors told me that that happened to her with AI so she almost lost her internship with the Sixers because of um someone thought that she was like dating or trying to hit on um, Alan Iverson. And so he, you know, he stepped in and said, no, it's not that. She said, no, it's not that. They took their word and moved forward. And now that's one of her clients for her own personal company. Mm -hmm. But, you know, she just told me that story just to say, things like this are gonna happen. Just be happy that this happened to you on a smaller scale. Right. Um, Learn from it, move forward move differently now mm-hmm. um, and that was it so mentors are a huge reason why you're able to really navigate this industry and kind of get by no that, that yeah, that's for awesome. sure and that's the power of mentors not even just to emotionally or professionally assist you but sometimes it's kind of like just having that person that's a little you know has a little more experience than you that can step in and mm-hmm. really assist you in these kind of situations so I love that so, you know, before I sit down with my guests, I always got to do my little social media check. So, girl, mm-hmm. you have been all over the world. Thank so, you. help me out here. Like, how many countries have you visited? Yeah, so I've been to 11 countries. Wow. Um, in the last three years. Um, the first, my first time abroad, I was 17. Um, it was in Spain. And since then, I've been back to Spain. So, in the last three years, I've visited about 11 countries. And it's been an amazing experience. Wow, so eleven. What led what led you to visiting these countries? Yeah, so I've kind of always just had an interest in traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, since I was younger, I just knew like I'm from the hood, and I just knew I wanted something more. I wanted to see other places. I want to do other things, and so um, I set this objective to study abroad. And I would try to meet other women or other people my age or other people from the hood that had studied abroad. Um, And so when I went to high school, um, I earned a scholarship to study abroad for a month in Spain. It was all expenses paid. All I had to do was fill out an application. And so I lived in Spain for a month. And so since then, like once the travel bug bites you, it bites you. And you just want to see more places and you're just so curious. Um, And so since as soon as I entered college, it was like, 
where am I studying abroad? And so I studied abroad in Costa Rica for three weeks. Um, and then my last semester of school, I studied abroad in Rome, Italy for four months. Um, and in between then, I would take like little international trips with my friends and my cousin and things like that. And then while I was abroad, I visited about eight countries while I was in Rome. Okay. Wow. And did you have any like host families or anything along the lines of that? Yeah. So I, when I was in Spain, I lived with the host family for one month. Okay. Um, actually, 11 days. So the program was one month. Um, I did language training for the Spanish language for two weeks. And then for the last 11 days, I lived with the host family. Amazing experience. Um, loves of my life. Um, when I studied abroad in Rome six years later, um, I surprised my host father. And so we did like a huge, it was his 50th birthday. I got with my host sisters and we flew in. They flew in from Spain, like um, northern Spain. And I flew in from Rome. We went to southern Spain and we, provi- we surprised him for his 50th birthday. So it was a huge experience. Yeah, that, that is super dope. I'm like almost yeah. tearing up here. Just some, it's a, he's a whole stranger to you. And yeah. you really enjoyed your time with you. Mm-hmm. And he made you feel like you were one of his own. Oh, for sure, yes. He still actually, like, we have WhatsApp, so he just wrote me on WhatsApp because um, he knows I'm doing the other half project. Oh. So initially my project was 100 other halves, which was for women, mm-hmm. and now it's the other half, and so I allow men to come in. So he emailed me like, um, hombre, hombre, there's men, there's men. I'm like, yes, yes, I'm doing men now. So, oh, that sounds so inappropriate. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so... Um, so he's amazing. He's like the love of my life, honestly. Okay. That's really dope. Um, so it seems like you've you've had the life. Like you've you've traveled all over the country and you went to a, a big university. You didn't even have to leave your hometown. Oh yeah. yeah so. Well I initially left. I initially left. Oh did you? So yeah, my first year of school I went to Barry University in Miami, Florida. Okay. Yeah, and so um, I was there, but it was a very small school. Um, I found out I was going there three weeks before school started because I was supposed to go to the University of Tampa. Um, very small school, Catholic school. So I went there for a year, got my GPA up, and then I applied to Ohio State and Temple because um, I was trying to go to like a big D1 university. Mm-hmm. And I got the most money from Temple, and so that's where I went. So talk to me about some of the struggles you faced leading up to the other half. Yes, so leading up to the other half, I would say a lot of the struggles that I experienced were um, kind of things that I wasn't aware was a struggle. And so um, my father was incarcerated on the day out, like when I was born, my father was incarcerated. And so for the first 21 years of my life, he was incarcerated on and off for 14 years. And so um, he wasn't always that very present in my life obviously but I would still communicate with him through prison um and when he was home you know he would be very active in my life um and so I never felt like I was missing anything none of my friends had fathers no one in my community had a father um it was I mean it was rare to see a man in the house and so I never felt like I was impacted by it I was always very hardworking. like I said I started um I started working in sports at 14 years old and so, like, I had a goal, and I was driven, so I never felt like I was hindered in any type of way. Like, I knew I didn't have resources. I knew my mother didn't have a lot of money. I knew my mother was a single mother of three, taking care of, you know, three children, 
going to school, working two jobs, trying to own a home. And so I knew that struggle, but again, everybody around me, mother was struggling. Mm -hmm. So I never felt like any of these things were a direct impact because I didn't see anything else. Um, And so I studied abroad in Spain and I met my host father and I lived in this two parent household where my host father is completely smitten with my host mother and they've been together for like 30 years. Um, And we don't even speak the same language, but you know how much he loves his wife, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And you know how much he loves his daughter. So let me tell you how much he loves his daughters. He has their umbilical cord. He has their (laughs) umbilical cord on his keychain. Like in, in something? Yes. Like um, it's not just a cord hanging from his keychain. It's it's. <laughs> wait, yes. wait, wait! It's just a cord. Like not nah, like cord. it's like you know how you get the plastic and you put inside plastic. Is it like that or is it just a cord? It's like literally two cord. I guess, I think they cut it so that it wasn't as long. But there are two cords hanging from his keychain. That is that that is beautiful. That is amazing. I've never seen anything like, like that. However, when you go to Europe, you will find that certain things that are totally like disgusting or just unheard of for us, it's completely normal, normal over there. there. It's yeah. so normal. So, um, for a country like America where sex sells, when you go abroad, you'll see that. You know, in America, sex sales, but we're like, ill to everything. Everything's like, ill. Everything is, unre- you know, restricted. Everything is censored, things of that nature. When you go over there, these things are not censored. So when you watch TV, you will, you will see private parts. When you're out on the beach, it's not uncommon to just see people naked. Not on a nude beach, on a regular beach. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why when you go to places like Paris and Spain and London, you'll see people kissing. Like PDA, they call these places like the country uh, or the city of love and things of these natures and it's strictly because there's no restrictions or nothing censored there so when i saw it obviously i was like what ew but to them it's just like what like you wash it off you do whatever you do to it and then he has it on his keychain but um that's more just an imagery for you to see how much he loves his daughter he eats breathes sleeps his daughters um and my mother was a housewife and he worked at a pharmacy around the corner and so just coming from a single parent household to not seeing any fathers in your community and then going traveling eight hours away on a plane to see a two-parent household where the mother is a housewife she doesn't even have to work um and the father is this you know provider that's in love with his family and so um, after leaving abroad, I thought like, oh, snaps, like people really do have fathers and they really are impacted by this relationship. And so I started to do some research to figure out in what ways was I lacking from the lack of this relationship. Um, and that's where the other half was birthed. So some other struggles that I faced, aside from just like living in this one parent household, I would have to say, obviously, just you grow up in these kind of environments um, and there's a lot of traumatic situations happening around you and dysfunction becomes normal. Um, And so one of the things that I did find that no matter where I went in life, I found some type of negativity. Um, So when I went to Spain, I'm, I'm gonna find a girl I don't like. I'm gonna find a guy that I just don't like or I'm gonna talk behind somebody's back um, or I'm gonna have 
um, authority trouble with some of the leaders in the group. And so it's just kind of like, no matter where I went in the world, no matter how it's, I was trying to escape the hood and different traumatic experiences that I experienced as a child, they still would come with me no matter where I go. So I tell people all the time, if you suppress an emotion or an experience, that's the quickest way to carry it around everywhere with you. And so because I was trying to escape from my environment instead of healing from my environment I was taking this kind of negative energy with me everywhere I went and I found trouble no matter where I went and so that was one of my greatest struggles um, and I feel like from expressing those emotions and those traumas that may have triggered my uh, seasonal affective disorder um, which is a form of depression um, and I think just carrying all that baggage with me all the time is one of the reasons why I may have this form of depression so aside from living single-parent household and not having a relationship with my father or a present and physical father um depression and then also just kind of bringing this trauma with me wherever I went those were definitely some um things I had to overcome wow I, I can definitely relate when you when you talk about the negativity that you bring with you um the authority issues, worrying about women, worrying about what they got to say behind your back, worrying about what you got to put on, just, just, just stuff like it's that. Exhausting. It is, it is, and sometimes I think I have a grip on it, and then sometimes I don't. Right. Yeah. yeah so, you're right. talk to me about how you you dealt with your depression. Sure. So. One of the greatest ways, I'm really into astrology, so... Me too. Uh, yes, I'm so mm -hmm. into astrology. And so, uh, I'm really... Obviously, God was one of the greatest ways I got through my depression. And I'm not... I don't read the Bible. I don't go to church. I don't think you do those things. But I have a direct relationship with God. I talk to Him. I ask Him for signs. Most times, I don't ask Him for anything other than to just hold my hand and keep my faith strong. Um, I'm very aware that know the path that he has for me is already set and I'm kind of just walking the journey and so all I ask for him is just hold my hand throughout the journey and keep my faith strong I don't know what I'm going to come up against but I just need you to stay with me and so when I'm going through my depression um it's not even like I throw myself into a bible or a church family I just keep praying to him every day like just get me through this just get me through this I know that you won't give me anything that I can't handle um so obviously God is the first thing I don't I wake up and I listen to my gospel soundtrack. But the second thing, because um, I'm Scorpio, and I have a moon in Capricorn, and so I'm very serious, and I'm very hardworking, um, and I can be very obsessive. And so a lot of times when I become depressed, I just shut out the whole world. I literally probably don't leave my room ever unless I have to go to class. I probably don't talk to people at all, but I'll just get on my computer or get on my phone, and I'll just start researching. And so research has been one of the key ways that I've gotten over my depression because, one, I have God in my head, and I know that he's going to get me through this. And so all I'm thinking of, okay, if he gets me through this, what, well, like, you know, like, what am I going to do to celebrate getting through this? So a lot of times I'll just research. Um, I do a lot of journaling. I do a lot of talking to myself. Um, I think when people are depressed, a lot of times they try to stop being depressed. And I understand that. The depression is going to end soon, but what have you learned about yourself throughout this process? If I'm already at rock bottom, what can I do other than dig a little more? 
So I start figuring out what are my triggers? What are things that's making me sad? Why am I being hurt so easily? What is making me sensitive? And I just dig. And obviously when you're happy, you don't want to find yourself digging and making, you know, into sadness. But when you're depressed, I'm like, I'm already at rock bottom. Might as well get it popping down here. So um, <laughs> no, I, I find myself asking myself those tough questions um, and allowing yourself to feel these emotions. I tell people all the time that because I had to deal with this depression for so long when bad things happen in my life I'm like listen child I've been depressed before so whatever this little thing is I can get through it because mm -hmm. I know what it feels like to really be sad you know what I'm saying and I know that feeling because when I'm depressed I don't try to fight it I live it I breathe it I stay in my little shell and I cry all day if I have to or I'll you know I'll milk it up I'll watch sad videos I'll watch sad movies I'll journal. You know, the point is really take that emotion and live it, breathe it, wear it, because it really makes you stronger. Because then when you go back out into the world and you're no longer depressed, little situations aren't going to affect you or bring you down as much because you're like, oh, no, I know what it feels like to be at rock bottom. So this little, you know, this little sadness I got going on, I'll overcome it with no problem. And it just makes you a lot stronger. How did your family deal with your depression? Um, my family, like I said, because I kind of go off to myself, I really don't, I don't really don't have anyone else to deal with it. Um, like for the, like when, if I have roommates, maybe they deal with it because, you know, I'll come to them and I'll cry to them or I'll talk to them. But for the most part, no one really has to deal with it. I make it my own problem because I do understand that, um, I'm sensitive. So if you say the wrong thing, I don't want that to make me even more depressed. But I also know that energy is very, very real and it's very strong. And so when you are depressed, your energy is so negative that, like, I feel like you can feel it. You can just smell it when you're around someone. It's just so negative and toxic. Um, so I just really try to avoid any kind of human interaction. Um, my mom is very aware of it. She kind of gives me my space because I ask for it, but she is very supportive throughout the process as well. Were you ever suicidal or had thoughts of committing suicide? I think my last depression which was 2017 that was the first time that I was actually really suicidal and so I just felt like because with seasonal affective disorder every year at the same time um for me it's January through May you're depressed and for a long time I could pinpoint what was wrong with it one year I didn't get accepted to all the D1 schools I wanted to go to so I thought aha that's why I'm depressed Another year, um, I went to my school in Miami, and I hated it. And I said, okay, that's why I'm depressed. So again, you see, I got 3.8 GPA my freshman year. That was because I was depressed. I grinded it out. I got all my work done. I did my research on the schools I wanted to go to. And I came out and transferred. You know what I'm saying? And so this time around, nothing was wrong in my life. But I was deeply depressed. And those probably one of the worst depressions that I had ever had. And so I, um, I remember thinking, like, do I have to go through this for the rest of my life? Like, and my life want to be lit for um, seven months, and then five months out of the year, I have to feel deep and down, low, dirty, disgusting about myself, you know, and just feel these depressed feelings. And I thought, I don't want to feel this way. Those seven months aren't, they don't add up to the emotions that I feel during this time. And I think the only reason why I didn't commit suicide was because I just couldn't figure out a way how because I ran through all the motions. I'm like, okay, I can take pills. But then I'm like, that's really awkward if I live. So, <laughs> I'm not guaranteed that something would happen. 
Um, and I won't go through every step because I don't want someone to, you know, use some of my ideas. But just know, I went through every single motion and none of them seemed like promising. So I was just like, okay, like, I guess I'll stick this out. But it was definitely something that was very much deep on my mind and definitely something I considered. Wow. Well, I want to commend you for sharing your story. You know, a lot of people, they go through what you go through and they didn't seek the help mm-hmm. that you did. Yeah. So I definitely want to commend you and thank, thank you, you for much. sharing your story for sure. Thank you. All right. So let's get into the other half. Yes. Talk to me about that. Sure. So the other half is my baby. It's my life. Um, as I mentioned, I'm an avid traveler and I work within the tech industry and I have this, you know, event for non-business majors. And so I'm really a multifaceted person. Like I have a lot going on in different areas of my life. This project this is like the core of my life. It's the center, it's my baby, it's my purpose. Um, and like I said, I didn't feel like not having my father impacted me, but when I did realize the ways that it impacted me, impacted me, I kind of wanted to share it with other people. And so that's what my project about. The ultimate goal of the other half is to allow people to hear that, uh, have that aha moment. So pretty much right now, what I do with the other half is I set a goal or an initiative So last year, it was I wanted to meet 100 women to hear about their relationship with their fathers and how it impacted them. And since I returned from Rome, I'm meeting 50 men individually, one-on-one, to talk to them about how their relationship with their father impacted them. And so it's a one-on-one conversation that allows people to speak their truth and share their story, but it also gives me an opportunity to share some of the information that I've learned about myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the point of the project is really just to allow people to think critically and honestly about how this relationship with their father or the lack thereof really impacted them and how they can kind of move forward and heal from it. Okay. So how long was your dad incarcerated for? Um, 14 years on and off. Wow, that's a long time. Yes. How would you say your dad being incarcerated for a significant part of your life affected the relationships that you have with men or even people in general? Sure. So, um, I just didn't have a lot of male interaction growing up. And so that really impacted me as a woman that worked within the sports industry. So I used to think there's only two things you can talk to men about and that's sex or sports. So luckily in sports, um, I worked within the sports industry, so that's all I had to talk about. Um, but I realized if I wasn't interacting with men regarding sports, I just didn't know what else I was supposed to do. And so I would completely avoid any male interaction unless it was romantic. And so one of the ways that I combated that was I joined um, the Alpha Phi Alpha Sorority, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, Miss Black and Gold pageant that they have at Temple University. And um, getting ready for this pageant, we interact with the Alphas for about two or three months straight um, preparing for the pageant. And I told myself, you're going to go in here and you're not going to date anyone. You're not going to like anyone. You're not going to deal with anyone romantically. You're strictly coming in here to gain experience interacting with males platonically. And that's exactly what I did. Um, But you have to be intentional with those things. Like if you realize, okay, I didn't have a father in my life. I don't know how to interact with guys. I don't know what to talk to them about. I don't know what to say to them. Then you have to realize that about yourself and then be intentional with trying to change that. So if you realize that there's a flaw or there's an area that you lack or you're not as well versed in due to the absence of this relationship with your father, you have to be very intentional on trying to 
fill that void in some way. Um, and so that's why I would make the decision to join very male-dominated fields, male-dominated groups, or male-dominated opportunities. Um, because I didn't want to kind of hinder myself or hinder my own growth just because I didn't have this experience with my father. And when it came to my romantic relationships, I realized that a lot of times I was very scared of rejection. Um, if a guy rejected me or if a guy didn't want to be with me, it would hit me a lot deeper than just the surface. It almost felt like, again, like I said, when you suppress emotions, you carry it around with you. And so I would try to figure out why do I keep getting triggered every time a relationship is not successful or any time a guy doesn't want me at the capacity that I want him to want me. And so I would sometimes try to leave the relationship or reject the individual before they could do it to me. Um, and I felt like that comes from kind of those abandonment issues, not wanting someone to abandon you, not wanting someone to feel that you weren't um, worthy of or worthy worthy enough to be with um and so that's some of the ways that it impacted me both like personally but then also romantically you you graduated from temple university you started a business called the other half you host boardroom exclusive meetings and you decided that the sports industry wasn't for you so you got into the tech industry yes so what's next for you What's next? Um, my ultimate goal is honestly to really make my mark within the technology industry, whether that's through diversity and inclusion programs um, or whether that's just um, sharpening myself as an individual, both professionally and personally. Um, I'm moving to a totally different new city in like 20 days. Um, and and this is and I'm used to traveling. And so to me, this feels like just a flight or another trip. But I'm like, no, sis, like, this is your new city. So um, that's really what I'm focusing on now. Just um, I don't want to have too much on my plate coming into San Francisco. I want to allow myself to experience San Francisco and experience the tech industry and really make an impact on LinkedIn as a whole. Um, and I also like to note that LinkedIn is a platform that is assisting people in reaching their full potential. So again, although it is the tech industry, it still aligns perfectly with my purpose. Um, and so that's just something to keep mind but so that's that for San Francisco and LinkedIn but for the other half I'm really focusing on content creation I understand that I can't keep meeting with 100 people and then 50 people for the rest of my life so I want to start creating more platforms and content that'll reach a mass amount of people and really get the message across we're running out of time so I want to wrap things up with this last question so it's safe to say that you've you found yourself in life with the other half yes. you found your purpose yes definitely so what is some advice you would give these listeners out there who are still struggling to find their purpose in life mm -hmm. so um my greatest advice that i give to most people is like don't limit yourself so as i said earlier i work within technology i work within sports i host these events um, for different types of individuals, and I also travel. Um, but I'm still doing this project the other half, which is technically kind of like psychology. And so as you can see, we have sports, we have technology, we have international studies or relations, um, and we have psychology, and we also have event planning. So this just shows you that when you're trying to find your purpose and you're trying to figure out what makes you happy in life, you can try very 
um, different avenues. You don't have to limit yourself to just one thing. Um, I know a lot of people that said, I like to dance, but I also think I want to be a doctor. Cool. Go to school for medicine and have a minor in dance. Or go to school for medicine and then join the dance um, class. Because I don't make any money off of the other half. This is strictly a passion. This is just my purpose. Um, but obviously, I make a great amount of money in the tech industry and I host these events where I can make a profit off of that and so a lot of times when you're trying to find your pro your purpose it may not come with profit initially and it may not be what you're doing in your everyday life but you have to not limit yourself to one avenue you have to open it up to various things because sometimes your purpose doesn't have to be one specific thing so my purpose obviously is impacting people in terms of father child relationships but really it's about excuse me assisting people reaching their full potential which is why I host these boardroom events for non-business majors so sometimes your purpose can kind of spill out into all these different avenues you just have to figure it out and you have to not limit yourself okay Keyshawn thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you for having me it's been such a pleasure tell everyone where they can find you at on social media Sure. So my Instagram name is key underscore Naomi, and that's K-Y underscore N-A-Y-O-M-I. Um, and you can also follow the other half at the other half and three underscores. And that was Keyshawn Johnson, y'all. Here's something to take from this episode, and it's super simple. Go after it all and dream big. Like Keyshawn said, do not limit yourself. And that's a wrap. Thank you guys so much for listening. I truly appreciate it. And if you haven't already, please leave a review. And be sure to like and subscribe to Unsighted with Lanisha David on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Follow my journey, y'all. I'm out. Blah, blah, blah.